Welcome to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone, the podcast where we highlight nonprofit leaders in the trenches who share the strategies and tactics they use to grow their organizations and make a difference each day. As we like to say, if you want to be discouraged by a general sense of decay, read the news. But if you want to be inspired by concrete stories of growth, talk to a nonprofit. Here's to the modern day superheroes, the nonprofit leaders. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. We are here with Brett Rollins. He's the development director at Hands In for Youth. Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Beautiful. And in terms of context for us, I'd love to hear sort of the background about how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, well, um, uh, over 20 years ago now, which is a little bit crazy to think of, I uh, came out of uh, college in the Midwest with a, a fine arts degree that I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do with. Uh, took me a while to realize that I was most drawn to sort of back end, so to speak, of arts programming, the idea of how you uh, how you support artists and get their work in front of audiences and that sort of thing. So I sort of naturally gravitated towards the nonprofit arts field. Uh, that led me to New York where I, uh, came to NYU and got my, uh, uh, master's degree in visual arts administration and then gravitated towards development. Cause really that's sort of where the jobs were. And that I think trend has continued in the field. Uh, and I, it turned out I had an affinity for it. Um, so for a long time, I mean, I worked my way through uh, up through a number of different positions at a number of different organizations, sort of realized that I was most interested in working for small organizations, mid-sized places where I'd get to do sort of everything, the full breadth of, of fundraising, not be kind of a cog in a team, you know, with one specific portfolio. And then I realized that I was, I had always thought of myself as an arts guy that did development. But really, what I realized is that I was a development guy that had started in the arts and uh, and sort of went further afield from my original interests and and uh, realized I loved working with organizations that did environmental work, that did social services, that did education programming, uh, and that led me to Hands In for Youth, which is not an arts organization by any means. It, it is that um, we uh, do a, a summer camp programming, after-school enrichment programs during the school year, serve kids from throughout the New York, New Jersey region, and the organization is actually based in New Jersey, although it's strongly connected to the city. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's a place where we are very close to the ground with the kids that we serve, and uh, coming from uh, the last organization I worked where it was much more sort of event-driven and and sort of glamorous and artists and and uh could feel very far from the actual services we were intended to provide when we were fundraising uh, i find it extremely gratifying to be someplace that is sort of so grassroots in its approach and and uh specific in its goals so it's a it's a good place to be it's a place where after moving around a lot i i, I hope to stay for a while Absolutely. And I'd love to hear more about Hands in Three Youth. I got a sense of it from the story you shared at the beginning so poignantly, but I'd love to learn more about the organization as a whole and um, how you tell the nonprofit story. Absolutely. Uh, so Hands in for Youth uh, was actually founded in 1924. This, was our, this year was our 95th consecutive year of providing uh, summer camp programs and summer camping is our sort of foundational program 
but we are over the last 30 years or so uh, developed into a year round service agency that also provides out of school time programming for underserved kids at risk youth from economically challenged communities throughout the region of New York and New Jersey. Uh, and uh, we operate a 230 acre summer camp about 45 minutes from the city. It's an absolutely beautiful spot. I'm sitting there right now looking out the window at the fall colors. Uh, it's a it's a lovely place to come to work. Uh, and we feel very oh. strongly that, and this is a, the story I tell from a fundraising perspective for sure, that we feel very strongly that taking kids out of challenging urban environments and bringing them to a safe and supportive environment that is entirely different from where they spend their day-to-day lives, whether that's in school or at home, hmm. uh, is a tremendously valuable thing that we can provide them. Uh, our programs focus on social and emotional learning, uh, teamwork, personal, physical challenges, intellectual challenges, uh, and, you know, and, uh, we provide in all of our programs, a daily, um, uh, curriculum of STEM activities, uh, that are, are combined with more sort of traditional camp programming in our after-school programming. Uh, the way I describe it to supporters is, uh, our approach is like camp in the classroom where we'll do you know, the kinds of things that you would consider to be sort of a traditional mm. camp activity or STEM programming is very based in that same sort of environment in the classroom. And then we also bring our after school kids during the school year on their breaks and weekends uh, to the camp. It's a tremendously unique resource that we have uh, compared to other after school program providers in the area. Uh, and we use it as much as we possibly can. Uh, and we uh, serve hundreds of kids throughout the year, every year, uh, and have been doing so for almost a century, which we're very proud of. Uh, and uh, it's it's one of those things where I feel like my biggest challenge telling the story from a fundraising perspective is that, oh, well, you're just a summer camp. And that is absolutely not the case. I think that um, we really work hard to set ourselves apart, both from other uh, out-of-school hmm. time program providers and right. other summer camps. You know, I mean, we, uh, we fulfill a lot of different needs for kids. Uh, and um, I, I work hard to sort of avoid that stigma of like, well, we'll use hmm. the camp, which I think is something that people find less compelling than what we actually hmm. do. Is there a tactic you could share in the fundraising realm that has been particularly effective for you or particularly helpful in your work day to day? For sure. I think that uh, it kind of goes back to um, what I thought of for a dramatic moment related to your first question, which is uh, building personal ownership uh, of our programs and of the kids we serve uh, for people. I feel like um, whether it's something that is technically a, a mass campaign where it might be you know, a mass letter campaign or a, a mass uh, you know, social media campaign or a literal individual conversation. Uh, I work hard to personalize what we do for the individual that I'm reaching out to. And I feel like uh, as important as quantifiable data has become, for example, and I think that's actually a really important uh, advance in the field that uh, funders of all kinds want more 
quantifiable understanding of our impact on kids. And we take that very seriously. We do impact assessments. We, we, we provide that kind of data. But I think that that can feed into uh, developing the more sort of anecdotal part of the process. You know, I think that uh, giving people a real sense of ownership for what they're supporting or what they could potentially support uh, is the most important tool that I have. So, I mean, as an example, uh, if I'm speaking to somebody, I want to bring that about what we do. And if I start with the overview, similar to what I just gave you, you know, the sort of elevator speech version of who we are and what we do, I want to take that and I want to zero in on a specific, may not be, you know, a specific kid, like, let's talk about this kid, Charles, versus, you know, a specific kind of kid that I know relates well to, for example, their own background, where they live, where they come from, what I know about what they are most interested in supporting. And I will zero in on that and I will use the data to back it up, but I will make it very personal for them. I want them to feel like they know that kid and they know what we do for that kid and how their support makes it possible. I love it. Bringing, right, bringing the macro into the micro and making it sure. relatable, making it individual, making it a relationship. Absolutely. Um, we use a lot of visuals. We use a lot of, of kids in our programs. We use a lot of quotes from our kids directly, whether that's actually something recorded on video or in print. Uh, we try and let, we've, I've learned num absolutely that our best ambassadors are the kids that we serve are our constituents hmm. and putting their faces and voices in front of people as much as possible is, is my number one tactic all the time. Brilliant. Is there a way that your organization thinks about how to make first contact with new individuals that might someday become supporters or even significant supporters? How does, let's say that over the next year, you know, a hundred or whatever the number is, new people maybe will start to take the first step, start getting involved. How would those hundred or whatever the number is, how would those relationships have started? Like, what's your guys' approach there? Gotcha. Um, we are lucky in that we have uh, years and years. I mean, this is the advantage of being the kind of organization that we are that has as long history as we have. We have uh, years and years of alumni of our programs and of our seasonal staff uh, and so on who care deeply about their own experience with us when they were kids or when they were young people. And uh, they are our number one resource for reaching other new potential supporters. I think this, this is true for us all the way up to the board level. We have program alumni on our board who care deeply about their own experiences with, with our camp and our programs. And uh, they, they are terrific advocates for bringing other people in you know, with their own story. Uh, and that works, uh, across the board. I, uh, believe strongly that every organization that has been around longer than a year has some version of a constituency of alumni that went through programs themselves. Hmm. And if asked and given the tools to do so, will advocate for you and will reach new people for you. I think it's very difficult to reach potential new supporters in a vacuum. Uh, it is a very cluttered landscape of different 
meaningful nonprofit organizations and everybody has the kinds of things that they're most interested in on a personal level. Having someone that doesn't work for us be an advocate, be an ambassador is the number one way that we reach new people. Uh, and I think every organization has some version of that kind of constituency. And I think that uh, a lot of nonprofits, especially that serve underserved populations, uh, feel like they can't ask their constituents to get involved with fundraising. And I get that. I would, you know, I would not ask a lot of our alumni for money, but I would ask them to help us reach other people. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, uh, I, I think that that's a trend in the field as well. And I'm really excited. About. That's a great insight. And I really appreciate you mentioning that because I think in educational oriented institutions, alumni is always everyone's first thought. But I love the point that every organization by and large probably has a quote unquote alumni network of some kind. And whether it's financial gift or advocacy support, raising awareness, whatever it is, um, they're probably one of your best audiences to get the message out. That is, that is brilliant. Um, is there a word that you would use to describe yourself if you could only choose one word? <laughs> um, enthusiastic. I, <laughs> I love it. I feel like I can see that already. T tell us more about that. Um, I think that my job and actually, you know, to be honest, is one of the things that I tell, uh, that I, everywhere I've ever worked, I've, uh, and this is not always something people like to hear, but I tell everyone I work with, like, look, guess what? Whether you like it or not, we're all in the development department. Uh, we, right. <laughs> we all have to be enthusiastic and positive and excited about what we do all the time because you never know who you're talking to and what their capacity is to support us. Uh, and I think that is especially true for me as the development lead uh, for my organization, that I am head cheerleader. I am the, the, I'm the guy outside the sideshow tent, you know, with the megaphone, getting people to step right up. I'm the tour guy that doesn't, wants to make sure you don't miss all the good stuff once you get inside. Uh, that is my uh, number one goal is to enthusiastically project why what we do is exciting and meaningful and, and, uh, and why somebody should get involved. Is there an exciting shift broadening out a little bit that you're seeing in the nonprofit world as a whole? There is, I think, and it relates to the challenges that are growing in the field too. You know, I think that uh, I, 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 I don't think anybody in the nonprofit development world uh, has any illusions about the fact that we are potentially heading into some very challenging years in, in, the, in the field. You know, I think that uh, uh, the, the, the trends and the forecasts for the coming years uh, economically and I think trends that we might be seeing in our own giving are not generally terrific. Uh, and so when I think of an exciting trend, I think it actually relates to that in a really positive way. And for me, what I've been seeing is that there's a more and more of a, a growth in people crowdsource fundraising for organizations that they care about personally on social media and online. Uh, I think that it is a, a really hmm. meaningful uh, moment. I think that in general, especially nonprofits have a complicated relationship with social media because it's a terrific tool 
but it's also a, a, a challenging one from a capacity standpoint and how do you use it best and all that sort of thing. And I think people have sort of answered that question for us and, and, uh, you know, the number, uh, like I mean, to give you a specific example, we have seen a huge uptick in the number of people, alumni of our programs, mostly, uh, who have done Facebook fundraisers for us around their birthday or around important moments in their own lives or at the start of the summer. And it's like, hey, this is when I went to camp every summer and you should support these guys. And from a capacity standpoint for a, non, for a small nonprofit, it's a terrific development. It's the kind of thing where we are discussing now in our own outreach and messaging, in our newsletters, in our own social media posts and so forth, how can we encourage people to do this? How can we essentially encourage people to fundraise for us? And that kind of, I mean, I've seen it called micro giving, you know, that's sort of like small dollar amount donations that add up to a meaningful uh, bottom line amount in my fundraising goals where I could never reach many of those people if I was trying to do it myself because it's just, it's, it's a huge amount of work. But if I can get a dozen of our alumni to do it for me, absolutely, <laughs> it's it's a it's a hugely impactful trend that I I think has been. I mean, it's answered a lot of my questions that I've been asking myself about how do I use social media platforms mm. in a meaningful mm. way, and that answered that question for me. Absolutely, and it's funny because social media has been around now for almost decades and yeah. i do feel like it is finally sort of coming to its own with um birthday fundraisers um and so forth peer-to-peer giving um where that is that is truly meaningful and that does it seems like that does truly actually work and a lot of that stuff has been exciting but maybe not fully worked historically i so, agree i mean wow 20 yeah. years it's really true i mean i'm thinking how long ago did i have a a friendster page good grief Uh, but it's true and i think you know uh this also goes back to your earlier question of how do we reach new constituents uh i have uh i mean just to use one quick specific example um one of our now former staff members uh in the spring did a 30 hikes in 30 days fundraiser for us online promoted it on his facebook it was actually through he used another like, uh, you know, uh, a crowdsourcing fundraising platform to actually take in the funds. And he, it was uh, it was a great hook. He did a really good job of making it very personal. And he did a, a hike every day uh, up to uh, the tallest peak on our site uh, and took a picture of himself up there every day with the number of days he'd done it. Uh, he raised over $3,000, almost all of it from people that, Wow, you know, a handful of folks that were connected to us already, but the vast majority of them were people that were entirely new to us. And I asked them, like, can you share their emails with us? Right. Because I want to make sure that we reach out to them ourselves and thank them for their support and connect with them directly. And I added dozens of people to my Brilliant. my mailing list from that effort. Uh, and hopefully even if only half of them became recurring donors or contributed again, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's great. It's a great trend from a capacity standpoint, for sure. 
Absolutely. And on the topic of networks and social networks, one of the things that I find fascinating just personally is um, we see these little cohorts of people um, in the nonprofit development world that kind of really admire and respect and are encouraged by each other and sort of push each other on. Are there people that maybe are in a similar role, but at different organizations that have been helpful to you, you've been helpful to them that you'd kind of like to give a shout out to? Sure. Um, one person definitely jumps to mind because she's someone who uh, I have known and worked with uh, in another a number of capacities, going back to my first job in the field when I was still in grad school and working for a tiny little uh, uh, arts nonprofit with a gallery program and an education program in, in Brooklyn. Uh, her name is Holly Hussey. And at the time, she was one of our teaching artists at that organization. And uh, now runs her own small nonprofit providing arts education programs throughout the region. She is an artist herself and, and just one of the most creative and positive people I've ever known. And one of the, one of my favorite things about my own sort of career trajectory is having worked at so many different organizations, I've really realized that my network is sort of everyone I've ever met and worked with in whatever context. And I have, created this sort of accidental Rolodex of, of creative people, of knowledgeable people, of skilled people in a huge variety of, of fields and capacities that are not always necessarily other nonprofit uh, professionals, but who I've been able to draw on and have ended up working with in different ways at numerous different organizations. And Holly's one of those people where uh, I've now done different projects with her at three different organizations over the years. Uh, and uh, is also someone that I've been able to draw on uh, as a consultant and as, uh, you know, a more sort of on a personal level uh, 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 has provided a lot of guidance for me and has mentored me in a lot of ways. And, and uh, she's somebody I, that definitely jumps out in mind and that actually would you, you would have a tremendous experience speaking with her yourself. She's just one of those people. And I realized that, that uh, my network is this sort of immense Venn diagram of people that I've accumulated over 15 years, you know, uh, that all overlap in ways you might not expect. Like, oh, well, <laughs> so-and-so did HR for years and she's retired now, but we're having an HR issue and we don't have our own HR department for, you know, just as a, just to pull an example out of the air. You know, it's like, and I know that I could talk to her about that and she would give me helpful insight. You know, it's, it's, uh, never, never lose anybody's number. I feel like that's <laughs> the, my most important networking, <laughs> my most important networking, uh, learning I've done is, uh, never lose anybody's contact and never burn a bridge. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We could do a whole episode just on those two statements, never lose anybody's number and never burn a bridge. Um, is there maybe on that note, is there something, or I'm guessing probably not on that note, but in, in the, um, in the realm of lessons learned, is there something that you appreciate now that you didn't have as full an appreciation of a decade ago? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, <laughs> so many things to, to, I think, uh, I mean, it, yeah. Well, for one thing, I've learned that I never stop learning. I, I feel like uh, every organization I've worked with, every executive director I've worked for, every board I have worked with 
has taught me something and I've never stopped learning. And I feel like uh, I've had more and more success in my career because I embraced that. I what I think what I I can encapsulate that a little bit by saying what I've learned uh, ten years on that I didn't really appreciate ten years ago is that um, I still don't know everything and I never will and there's always something new to know there's always something new to learn there's always a new tactic to to try uh, and uh, you never know who's going to show you that tactic or who's going to have that insight. Uh, and you just have to be open to it. Brett, thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been fascinating. I've learned a lot, which I sort of always, <laughs> always end up doing. Um, and um, I just appreciate it. Uh, you have a wealth of experience and I know that you have probably dozens of things on your to-do list for the week. So thanks for taking time to spend with us. Where can folks find you online if they wanted to learn more about you, about the organization? Where should they look? Sure. Well, first of all, Grant, I want to thank you. This has been a pleasure and, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been fun. And I, I, hope, uh, I hope that I provided a little bit of insight that is helpful to your listeners. Uh, as far as where people can find me, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to connect to anyone that they can find me under my name, Brett Rollins. Uh, you can also find me uh, and how to contact me uh, at, at Hands In For Youth. Uh, our website is hi4, the number four, hi4y.org. Uh, and you can find my bio and, and contact information on there. And I am always happy to connect with anybody who wants to reach out. So uh, please do. I love it. Thank you again, Brett. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast network. We appreciate your support. Until next time. <laughs>